0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of FSE Radio. Today we have with us...
1: Reint van Klinken. I'm uh, the External Affairs Officer of Atmos and studying uh, my second year of the Master Environmental Sciences.
2: Uh, cool. The voice you just heard on the microphone before Reint was Troof. And I'm Ludie. And we will be interviewing you about uh, the Environment and Energy Master's Program and uh, the Atmos Study Association ah. and other related issues.
0: So just tell us a bit about yourself, like about how you just got into, why, why did you why did you choose to go into this in, into this field?
1: Um, well, that's already started before my uh, university time. Uh, when I was a child, my father and mother raised me to be very nature aware. So I was quite active in that field, so to say, and. My peers around me did not quite understand that. Climate change was on the background, but there were more skeptics really in and around my neighborhoods than people that thought it was really a big problem. So uh, then then I I was very concerned about it, but um, wasn't hurt that much to my own dissatisfaction. So I decided not to uh, pursue it with words but with actions and to really get into such a level of detail that I could make uh, structural changes to our society so that it would go a bit more into a general direction and I was raised very eco-centric awareness so I uh, tried to pick a study that reflected ecology and evolution and that became my major eventually
2: uh, so, how did that manifest itself—the the being raised as a very environmentally aware child, or in such a family?
1: Well, um, in in high or in in primary school, so I was raised very ecologically aware, and it manifested itself by me talking for hours and hours to anyone who would listen to it that uh, we were burning down our planet and we should all stop driving cars and. Uh, very simplistic way of reasoning that a child would but we we need to change this because i i was really well almost scared or not not really scared more like concerned that if we wouldn't do anything about it it would not hurt me personally but hurt the environment biodiversity stuff like that and within my mind that could not happen that it should not happen
0: it is interesting that you said that you were raised um, in such a manner since primary school, because honestly, when I was in primary school, I didn't even know that climate change was a thing. Or like, I guess it has it has um, like caught the attention a lot more in in recent years than than before that. How like how how, how important was it in your childhood? Because I, I I learned about climate change, I would say about about like six seven years ago maybe. And you're older than I am, and you heard of it in primary school. So how does that? exactly translate because you also say that uh, a lot of your friends didn't did not get it or like didn't have the same attitude towards the environment
1: um well it it wasn't common knowledge but within my uh circles of uh family it was so it was really well when i grew up i noticed it, these type of things and uh, my family is quite uh eco-aware so to say so they're also concerned for animals and uh, ecosystem well-being, so to say. So it manifested itself during my upbringing, so to say.
2: So you had to bike everywhere even when it was raining because your parents were like, well, (laughs) if you take the car, that's bad for the environment. At least my parents were that way. Or maybe they just didn't want to drive me, but yeah.
1: Well, my parents couldn't have driven me because we didn't have a car and still don't. We share a car with my grandparents who live close by as well. So on holidays, we would have a car. But for the rest, I had no other choice than to cycle or take the bus or train. But that costs money. And well, as a child, you get one euro a week or something. (laughs) So perhaps one bus ride every week. But I wanted other stuff for my money. So I just cycled everywhere.
0: Was it like annoying for you that like you somehow you, you like everyone else has a car to go to school and you're the, you're the only one who doesn't? Does it does it ever like piss you off that you're the only one who's like I don't know doing something for the environment?
1: Well, the cycling thing wasn't the I wasn't the only one with that. Uh, almost everyone in the Netherlands has a bike, and if things are close yeah. by, I just always biked. Um, but in certain degrees, yes, it was a bit annoying that. I seemed for a while to be the only one concerned for the environment, though in certain levels, others agreed with me that it was a problem, but just didn't know how to change it. And uh, if they then asked me, then I had no answer for them because I didn't know either. Yeah, or or very simplistic answers, just leave your car at home always. (laughs) Never go (laughs) by plane somewhere, stuff like that.
2: So did that change when you moved? Well, maybe, uh, maybe you can talk a bit about the, your bachelors first, but then your master. Like, do you feel like you're, you found your tribe with regards to the uh, environment? It's
1: definitely more with the same attitude now. During my bachelor, I, uh, in the beginning, biology was very broad. So then three or 400 students all followed the same half a year and that was very much like bacterials uh, of bacteria yeah which you learned about a little bit of ecology but mostly medicine uh, or bioprocesses or a lot of general biological knowledge so to say and after half a year i chose evolution and ecology and then i learned a bit more about this stuff but it was still quite theoretical and quite far away from society so to say so um, The modeling was interesting, but still also very, very, in my experience, very much away from society. So when I had the choice to go to do a master, I decided to look really for a master with effect on the society and with prospects that you could go out there and make a change once you finished such a master. Had this always been your plan? up until that point, yes, yes, I've always had the ideal to have a comfortable living, but also having a way to better the world than that I found it, so to say.
2: Do you, do you remember a moment in your bachelor's degree where you were like, yes, this assignment is, or this course is fun, but I really miss these sort of societal
1: interactions? Uh, especially during mathematics or uh, <laughs> statistics, then then it it was sometimes it was interesting, but it 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 was so far from from what I deemed relevant at that point. And of course, uh, I I understood why it was important to learn, and of course I had to pass it to continue, so to say. But especially some of the some of the courses uh, could have used a bit more. Uh, ...interaction with the reality, so to say.
0: Has your outlook on like what seems relevant to you now changed? Um, At all?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, uh, I used to be very much pro-environmentalistic... ...in regards to that we have to change the earth, so to say... ...or change our way of living so that the rest of the earth... ...and biodiversity has a better place to live... But now I'm also a bit more uh, looking for how can humans change with that in such a way that we all have a place where we can build our dreams and stuff like that. Because growing up in Europe, it's, it's a very nice place to grow up, but you don't get the harsh reality always of the rest of the world, so to say. And I do not want to make Europe a beacon of sustainability on the backs of, well, the rest of the world. So in, in my master's study, I'm also now looking beyond borders, beyond uh, getting a whole supply chain of products from beginning to end. where can we improve in such a way that everyone should be better off? And especially those first steps, which I learned in my study, are cheapest, but realize most change. So that's, that's quite interesting as well.
2: So do you think that this global perspective is um that you like would you have gotten that as you grew older like by yourself or do you think that your your study really helped that
1: My study and also my preparation of my master quite helped because uh, before I went into my master itself I followed two minors uh, one was future planet innovation, where we uh, studied sustainability as a, a broader topic. And that was minor given within the FSC. So giving not just ecology, but also some other aspects of the quite multidisciplinary uh, issues we face with that. And the other minor I followed was energy from the FEP, Faculty of Science of Economics and Business. And that was even more multidisciplinary. And there I met people who had whole other ranges of thinking for example economics might not have the same background or ideology to change the world but they see it's a profitable business and they see that global uh, resources are finite so if you make things circular then in the long run you have more profits in that that was a way of thinking i knew existed but wasn't really aware of till i actually met those people and started talking on different wavelengths so to say
0: Do you agree with that way of thinking do you think that people should as a whole think about uh, well or rather businessmen as a whole should think about um, how they can increase their profits by saving the environment or should they just be concerned with saving the environment
1: i think if you have Uh, The aspiration to change the environment and you have the attitude, I want to leave the world as a better place, then that's a nice way of thinking and that's the way I'm thinking. But I also recognize that not everyone can or should have that way of thinking because, well, not everyone is the same and not every ideology is the same, so to say. So
2: it's a pluralistic view, like there can be many ways to realize the same, well, I don't want to sketch a really nice picture here, but like there can be a, a peace on Earth and a, a sustainable future, even with people who think like very differently
1: about profits or uh, ecology than
2: you or the people in this
1: uh, in the master program. But other ideology, I would say that yes, there are uh, multiple ways to go about it, and uh, if you want to uh, maximize uh, profits, then that's one way of doing it. Uh, as long as you take then all uh, streams into account Um, in economy in high school i learned that nature was expandable or that it was infinite Uh, those two assumptions already make that you are especially if you uh, capitalize the entire world you're not in looking in an infinite globe so to say of course there are now Plans in the making, very real plans to harvest asteroids and stuff like that, uh, broadening it a bit, but eventually resources do run out. So then you cannot continue forever making a profit of the same thing if it's not circular.
0: Sorry. (laughs) Now that you bring it up, now that you bring up asteroid mining, what do you think of it? Because in theory, if you were to mine asteroids, so to speak, you could get any mineral for as, like, you basically have an infinite source of minerals if you're getting them from, a- from asteroids. If you were to ignore the logistics of it, obviously, that, it, that is a whole problem in itself. But what, do you, what, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think it's an actually sustainable way of um, mining?
1: Well, first off, um, I am not an expert on this topic because I'm a biologist and only now two or one and a half years in following a master degree in, in physics. But for the brief things that i saw i think it has the has a potential to broaden what we have on earth already and it would solve some of the mineral scarcity and uh, uh metal scarcity that is already occurring on the global markets however i do think that it won't solve every problem on earth i think still emissions if you have them in the atmosphere you cannot get rid of them even if you bring in asteroids to power the hardware even more so to say so it it's a partial fix and i think it's quite far away still because it's a whole whole other frontier and even though there are massive innovations going on and still exponential curve to what we know so to say it's still uh, far from my bad show so i wouldn't would not see it as the holy grail to fix every crisis on earth every i think especially uh, the energy transition requires a lot of different ways of solving it and if there was one holy grail we would have found it already but there is not yet one in our grasp, so diversifying now is, I think, the best way to go. Is that a part of your course? Do they, is it asteroid mining or? I mean, <laughs> I, mean like,
0: I mean, you brought it up, so like, is that is that just knowledge you have from just reading, like in general, or is that is that something you actually tackle in your course?
1: It is a bit of both. in In my master degree, you start off quite broad, so you start off with. Um, Uh, three courses that are mandatory to all students so that you get a general background. And afterwards, you can dive into more specific details. But in those general courses, yes, you get a very multidisciplinary way of looking at things. You start actually, one course is actually called system integration. Um, So there, there you really take a step back and look at whole systems and see, well, what it's about and where ideal solutions come from. Then there is also another course called Sustainability and Society, and there you get a country assigned, and then you can try to fix within that country uh, the the energy problems per week, so to say. And uh, well, it 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 does give you a very broad background if you hadn't one already.
0: Is that is it that simple that you just you get you get homework to like fix a country's climate problem for a week? Is it that oh. easy to solve?
1: No, the conclusion. <laughs> All the groups derive at is this is way too simplistic. <laughs> this will probably not uh, be the whole answer, but some general pointers for a country are often quite, o- or quite often found because some countries limit themselves not in their technical possibilities, but in their, in their culture sometimes or in their choices to specify on very much one case, so to say. So some general recommendations can always be had for a country.
0: What, what do you think, like, when you speak of such countries, what do you think the biggest problem is? Is it, is it just that they don't have the resources or does it just boil down to just ignorance?
1: Well, um, some countries just started late, so to say. So uh, Europe had its industrial revolution quite early, while other countries, developing countries, are having them now. So China is rising up quite steadily and India is now getting on on a certain track as well while africa has still some food issues so to say uh so they do have their own challenges because they lack technology or they lack knowledge in certain areas and other areas it's indeed we know that this is bad however we know it's also a quick way to uh, riches so then they choose to get their profits up now and go sustainable in the future, so to say.
2: Do you think that the the richer countries have like a responsibility towards the developing countries to, well, maybe not to ban, uh, like there there was a discussion a while ago about like banning, I think um, non-renewable sources like entirely.
1: Well, if you ban non-renewable sources entirely, for example, the three main ones are oil gas natural gas and coal and if you ban those all entirely then everyone in the winter in the northern hemisphere would have a cold winter unless you start chopping down all the woods we have left so banning everything uh, that is polluting entirely is not yet the way to go because we don't have alternatives yet to get operational and running so to say i Do you think, for example, some sources are more polluting than others? For example, uh, coal and brown coal are by far more polluting than natural gas. So if you put a bigger price tag on that, then that might help push it towards natural gas and then towards more renewable sources, so to say. So it's
2: like uh, regulating based on financial incentives instead of just like harshly banning it.
1: Actually, banning it is quite impossible unless you have a broad, a very broad consensus of the entire society. Then that's the way to go. Yeah. And often, if you say we're banning this entirely in the beginning, it should it, the broad consensus can be okay. Let's do it. But then, if uh, it is also the cheapest way to produce something, then energy prices will level, and then suddenly people cannot pay their gas taxes anymore or uh, gassing bills or electricity bills. And then people say, okay, let's get it back because now we're sitting in the dark or half of our country is, uh, is protesting against it. So then you get feedback within itself, so to say. A more gradual way indeed of incentivizing with indeed some more taxes can then be the way to become more sustainable. Yeah, so there's no easy solutions uh, in your field. No, there are no. Not, but some are more easy than others, and some can be more successful than others. So, for example, uh, isolate or insulation of houses. That's that's quite, especially the older houses, is quite easy to do. And then you already can save sometimes up to half the energy price or sometimes even more than that, just by insulating your house with a little bit of foam in the wall. Those fixes are quite easy if you know where to look. Then you have quite a lot of revenue already going from that. So then it's a win-win situation, both for the environment and for your own wallet, so to say.
2: Yes.
0: <clears throat> so to go back in the conversation a bit, you said that in the beginning of your um, track, I mean, or, or your course in environment and energy, obviously it's a very broad field. You said that you take three mandatory courses and I'm guessing after that you have a lot of versatility with what you choose.
1: Um, within the master, it's indeed in the first half of the year or um, in, the, in your first year you have courses and your, in your second year you have two projects you do. Uh, research projects and if you indeed zoom in into the first year and then especially the first semester which are the first block then indeed there are three mandatory courses one is global change um no that's not the name one is uh I, I know the abbreviations, but they have quite long names. It's you don't have to name them. Okay. <laughs> well, in, in that case, one is about statistics. So you get a general course on how to analyze your uh, data if you have it for your second year. And one is uh, about ecosystems. So I, as a biologist, already knew quite a lot about that. And then one is more uh, physical, for, um, um, but also broader for the energy transition itself. And afterwards, you do have more choice the further on you go. So uh, in Block 1B, you have two mandatory courses and one elective you can choose. Mm -hmm. And the two mandatory courses are there more about uh, the society as a whole, but also more about systems within the energy transition and sustainability. And the electives can range from artificial intelligence courses, but also courses from other faculties. So I've been following... In that uh, second block, I've been following a course in spatial sciences because a lot of infrastructure Mm. is quite spatial. And especially in the Netherlands, there's a lack of room. So you really need to be smart about what you place where. And uh, sometimes things can be more than just one thing. And afterwards, you have your second half of the first year. So uh, block uh, semester two. And there you have one mandatory course you can follow. And for the rest, you can just choose whatever you think you want to know or need to know if you already have a future ahead of you. You want to, for example, go to ESA as a, a space program within Europe. Then you want to pick, for example, more courses about, for example, the atmosphere or per, uh, weather forecasting or stuff like that. Uh, well, I, as a biologist, wanted to keep a little bit I wanted to broaden, but I also wanted to keep that ecological side of me active, so to say. So I wanted to have uh, a content based on that. So I chose a few ecological courses there. Yeah, and you can, you can choose whatever you'd like, but it is wise to think about what is wise for your own career path. But if you don't have a career path yet, just choose what you like and see where it leads you
0: what do you recommend you just usually have a set goal and just follow it or do you just see what you like and then just
1: well uh we've discussed it a little bit earlier as well i did have set goals (laughs) uh uh until this master degree but in this master degree i saw the first the the versatility of the range of the problems but also so where solutions were needed so This year, I'm for the first time a bit hesitant on where to go next. So I have no clue where I'll end up. And therefore, in my subjects and in uh, electives I chose, I just picked what I thought was nice and what spoke to me, so to say. And you are in your second year now. I'm now in my second year. I'm now in the year that I'm only doing research. So I'm now in the first research uh, about farmers and about nitrogen and to see in the agricultural sector where nitrogen can be saved, so to say, from the environment.
2: Oh, that's really relevant right now as well. It is,
1: it is. I wanted to uh, be close to the actuality. And uh, I think you've noticed, but before COVID, there was another uh, crisis, namely the nitrogen crisis, and it's still there. So it's bad, but all the problems in the world give me a chance to fix them and therefore giving me in the future a job so it has a seal for liming to me personally as well
0: I think that's that's it for that's it for this episode thank you Reint, I hope I said that right you did, so, thank you yeah, thank you for your time and uh,
2: for your optimism bye bye